Welcome to Surviving Society Presents Legacies of the War on Terror. In these episodes, we will be thinking through complex questions concerning how the War on Terror became the War of Terror for many negatively racialized communities over the past 21 years. Through expert knowledge and the recording of key events, we'll be speaking with academics and activists who are pushing back against the War on Terror's carceral logics. Executively produced by Shireen Fernandez. Welcome to the final episode of Surviving Society Presents Legacies of the War on Terror. I am sat here with Shireen Fernandez, who is the executive producer of this series. Shireen, hello. Hi. It's been a whirlwind. It has, hasn't it? I'm so happy that we met you, Shireen. Um, we met you through another project that we're working on called Material Crimes. It's coming out later this year. Um, but we were so, like, just taken aback by your approach to scholarship and in particular, like, how you approached um, your work for a, very much a scholar-activist lens. Like, you are doing the work in the academy, but you're bringing the work from the academy into the community. You're taking you're taking the resources from the academy in the, into the community. And that means remuneration as well as literally resources and I know there are so many people, particularly across the UK, that are doing this work, but it is really, it's always so exciting to meet people like yourself because it isn't glamorous. No. It is not glamorous. It's exhausting because the academy make it so difficult to actually do th- this kind of extraction from them, but it's possible. Something that I've learned this year, especially, you need to see beyond your CV, right? You need to see beyond your professional development and think about well, what is my re- what is my research about? My research is about you know Muslim communities and counterterrorism legislation. But who is actually doing the work, right? Mm. And that's only possible partnering up with community organisations, but also organisations like this. So surviving society are thinking about making our research accessible, but also giving us the space to be on a journey. And I think that's what's really crucial about not just this series, but the work that you all do here is actually recognising that, well, actually, I, I didn't think this way a few years ago, but right now I think I think in this way, perhaps, and just learning so much from other scholars, other activists is so crucial. I think it, it's one of the best things about doing a podcast like this is that you can recognise where you need to improve in certain areas, I would say. Mm. That's very reflective, Sharina. I like mm. that. So what would you say are some of the hardest things, or sort of hardest aspects of doing scholar activism currently? Um, checking your biases is something which is really important, I think. So on one side, satisfying your ego and saying, well, this is going to be great for my research outputs. But then also recognising that, you know, something very sinister is happening in our communities that we're not that we need to address I was really thinking about prevent and in relation to abolition recently and thinking well are we doing enough I write so much about prevent you know every other day I think I'm writing something about prevent but is it actually addressing the crucial need which is abolition so sometimes we need to reflect on these perspectives and just disengage from the academy perhaps and think about what is really happening to our communities. 
Are you talking there about how institutional racism or Islamophobia is legislated and like as an academic, you're writing about the different ways in which that happens? And are you saying that there's only so much that writing or that knowledge production of these harms can get us? I think that if you are facing Islamophobia, racism, poverty, the last thing you're going to do is pick up a report that tells you Mm -hmm. what you are experiencing. And that was... That hit me in the face this year where I thought, well, something else needs to be done. We need to we need to smash those paywalls and think about what is it that our community needs? And I'm not saying that they're not going to read the reports, they're not going to read the articles. That's great if you do. But there are other ways in which we can produce knowledge and there are other ways in which we can help our communities or help those the beyond conferences and workshops and and papers and articles so it is really about diversifying our outputs I think which is really crucial I think just bringing in a bit of reflexivity here for the listeners especially those that are academics so Shereen and I both have fellowships so I think it's important to say that being able to do this work. I mean, I'm definitely not connecting my scholarship and research with community organisations at the moment at all. Like that isn't something that I'm able to do at the moment. That is something that you're doing. But I do have the space and time to be paid to ensure that the the work that you're doing is platformed on something like Surviving Society. But I think that it's important for us to reflect on the fact that we're in a very precarious academic job market, cost of living crisis, everything's about, like we are, we're, we're very, very small cogs in the work that's being done to try and, yeah, diversify research and knowledge production, but also, yeah, bring bring resources to different people. And I think that that is a privileged position to be able to be in and most Absolutely. academics can't do that right now. Fellowships are amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've had the best time in my fellowship. Mm. And I say this as um, a mum too. So yeah, I, I like Shereen's got a like, like baby, <laughs> actual baby. Like you, you'll come to produce, come to produce this this <laughs> show. She's like, baby. hang on, I'm just on the, I'm just on the school run. I'm like, Shereen, I forget. Like she's, Shereen's a proper hustler. And no. I'm, I forget that like yeah. you have got so much going on so in your you, life. Chantel, and this is what's really important, right? Is that what we go through, what our lives entail reflects in our work often. Um, and that there's a, probably a running joke between me and Chantel where we work we work like hurricanes mm-hmm. because that is what we have to do to ensure that we get the work done. Um, so yeah, I do reflect that it was an incredibly privileged position. But one of the key takeaways, if anybody gets a fellowship, is thinking about well, who can I who can I work with to enhance you know not just your work but enhance, I guess in my in my perspective the safety of our communities. Um, so working with Maslaha, working with yourselves, ensuring that our work is accessible was so important to me because I do believe that we need to think beyond the written word at times. Yeah, definitely, Shereen. And I think that what you said about the two of us working um, like hurricanes, I think that's why you've sort of fit in quite well over the past <laughs> few weeks and we've been producing this um, uh, pod- podcast with the team is because we do work in a very particular kind of way in order to get the work out there. And w- what I want to say about that is I don't want to glamorise mm. it because actually it is a lot and it's sometimes it's not sustainable. Mm. Sometimes we have to take breaks. But the point is you do it when you can. Um, but also, I do feel like what we talk about is so embedded in the personal. Yeah. 
like we don't separate it out for me this isn't it doesn't feel like work right because this is our lives we encounter this on a daily basis mm. so it doesn't feel like i need to do extra work or extra prep for this because we are living it we are breathing it we are seeing it we are hearing it we are engaged in it at all times which i think is so profound that um yeah it's not glamorous at all and but but it but it's um but it's a part of our lives that we cannot separate i think is really mm. important so what were some of your highlights in the series oh gosh highlights of the series the key takeaway was thinking about well first of all we called this series the legacies of the war on terror and it is enduring in so many different ways from the securitization of language provision to muslims in prisons to um you know even talking to rizwan about what he went through as an academic who was falsely accused of terrorism and then speaking to john layla so john's words a bad policy is always a bad policy right mm. and rahil saying exactly the same thing just reinforces the message that regardless of how these things are repackaged it's still pretty crap I, I agree with you and you've yeah highlighted a couple of my um my best bits there. I think it was very, very moving for me talking to Rizwan. I, I haven't spoken to many people that have experienced what Rizwan did and as in like literally being targeted um and detained in that way because of a because of something that he had downloaded. Like mm. that was I, as I said on the show, like I really didn't want to talk too much about my own shark even though I did um because it it doesn't it doesn't do it does a disservice to what he went through but equally it's just like it's just ter- like it's awful mm. awful and like what are your like what are your rights what can you do but also what I found so fascinating well fascinating equally depressing is the trauma associated with doing this sort of research right? yes so he is writing a book he wrote a book about what he encountered you know that re-traumatizes people and i feel like when we are doing the work on racism and structural inequality and poverty and islamophobia this is so difficult to separate that out from our lives and that's what rizwan's book does it tells a story about how one false allegation can basically spiral you and he talks about it so eloquently in the book and it's what really struck me i know i made a joke that i don't read many books on the show but <laughs> and that is partly because i'm a hurricane but also <laughs> what was so profound about his writing is that it is deeply personal that it is not distanced from from who you are as a person and i think sometimes when you're working on research you can separate that out a bit like oh this is my job so mm-hmm. this doesn't happen um and you and you can hear it in when you when you read his work, which is so um, such an important text, I think for everybody to read because it it's not about figures and facts and data and this and that, but it's actually saying, well, I know what I'm talking about because I was I was in prison falsely. Mm. Profound. Do you know who else was so serious, Layla? Oh my God, yes. Just receipt after receipt after receipt. Layla's so serious. Layla was um so well, i don't even know what the word is she smashed it yeah in terms of just being able to say you know every every claim that we had she could 
dish it back out, yeah. which I love and which is exactly what we need. Yeah. Because there is no time to be devil's advocate when it comes to what we're dealing with. Devil's advocate, aka, I'm going to be a dickhead now. Yes. <laughs> well, that's exactly what it is. But she could, she could dish it out. And she... Some, like, a team like Layla and John together. Yes. Like, more kind of collaborations like that. I mean, mm. they've always existed, those sort of collaborations. But, like, they're so powerful. People from different walks of life coming together, united, to fight for people's freedom, for yes. fight for people's rights. When I say my jaw dropped reading that report... This is, we're talking about the People's, the people, people's yes. Review of Prevent. You know, insane what you read about, you know, the case studies that they're confronted with. And yet she was so um, composed. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but she could just say it as it is because she has to retain all of this information, all of this trauma mm. and just say it as it is. And I think that's what, what the podcast does so well, right? Is that it isn't just about... It, it, it takes you beyond the written word, which I think is so crucial and so needed. One of the things that I think was really powerful about what uh, John and Layla spoke about as well was how prevent is basically an obstruction of democracy. Well, that's essentially what it is, right? And I'd never thought, I just hadn't thought about it like that. Like That's why it's so important to have people that are able to see things in a different way. This is the thing about, um, you know, when we talk about democracy and so democracy. Democracy for who? Exactly. But also democracy is a so-called fundamental British value that we have to teach in schools and so forth. But the issue that we have, and it is so clear in what the report says, the People's Review of Prevent, is that people's voices are being silenced. That is not democratic. But also, how are you being called an extremist or terrorist yourself if you refute a policy or you challenge a policy, uh, where, where do your democratic rights come into that? This is what, you know, drives me to do what I do because you have to just think about the hypocrisy in it, the ironies that come out at you. And just on that thread of hypocrisy, Shireen, think about Cameron's interview mm. on language. Yes. That, the, the example that he gave of the, of the child, the Muslim child in the States yes. that um, was disabled and the mishearing of yes. what they had said and then getting referred to social services. You see what I mean? Like, that is honestly, I've thought about that so many right? times. That you have to, you you have to, you know, of course, watch what you say. and But something so innocent as an English language class, right? That is being securitized in our, you know, it was it was a huge policy for David Cameron to come out and say, well, you know, we need more Muslim women speaking English because that's going to tackle radicalization. Something so innocent as as English language provisions, right, being turned on its head because it is now used as part of de-radicalization efforts. The way in which our communities, our people are being constructed as a threat because they don't speak a certain language doesn't it, it it's what it's what Cameron does so well to demonstrate that this is a policy which has no meaning to it and as he rightly says those who were convicted of terrorism spoke english just fine so what are we talking about here mm -hmm. we were talking and um, with Raheel earlier about 
the next government mm. and we're talking about the Tories, talking about the Labour government and I was saying I, I think the Tories will probably get back in but I also um, will not be voting for the Labour Party mm. um, and I was sort of talking about what I think would happen if the Labour Party got in and this is based on loads of people that I've learned from over the years that have helped me kind of unlearn a romanticisation of Labour and Labour government and particularly I've done that on the show and sort of looking back at my own childhood and experiences of kind of interpersonal racisms growing up in the West Midlands in a predominantly white town but actually thinking about what was happening to my Muslim brothers and sisters down the road mm. in the West Midlands like you've got the early iterations of Trojan Horse as I'm growing up like you've got uh, 9-11 happening like I was experiencing obviously a very different form of racism growing up at school but like the, the type of racism that I witnessed and saw amongst Muslim children was just terrible anyway mm. why am I saying that I'm saying mm. that because talking about the Labour government, new, we're talking about new Labour, and then I'm thinking about the coalition. And there is this kind of like the the politics of integration, the politics of multiculturalism, the politics that that kind of politics will definitely make, I think, make a return. Mm. And it will see a very similar demonization, structural demonization, policy-led demonization of Muslim life that is will be almost identical to that that the Conservative Party will do. The Conservative Party always go a little bit extreme because they're the professional racists. But Labour, like, Labour are almost like, see, like, right, let me, let me do this, let me do this anecdote. Tories are like the professional corporate racists. They know what they're doing. The Labour Party... Are your liberals. Are your liberals who actually are the line managers mm. of the, the HR managers of your corporate races. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like, they're the same. The, no, absolutely. And it's only by, I think, for myself, it's only been by looking back and re-looking at my own trajectory through life and growing up and actually what was happening and then obviously reading and learning from other people. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, New Labour... We're talking about post 9 11, 2001, yeah. uh, came on the scene. Uh, Tony Blair obviously launching the war on Iraq. But then you get, well, I should say the occupation of Iraq, but then you get some people saying, well, they gave us EMA. So EMA. Being, I, but, but, but that's, what, that's what I would have said. Right. Like right. until in the last five years, that's the sort of thing I would right. say. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. our welfare was protected. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, like they did this terrible thing going into Iraq, but, you know, they, they, safeguarded our EMA mm -hmm. payments and ensured that inequality was was addressed. This is something that I often hear. And then you had Prevent being launched as a result of new labour, but it was it was launched in a very soft manner, which mm. is let's do it through multiculturalism and community cohesion. Yes. That if we give organisations money, and this coincided, I should say, with the 2008 recession, if we give those community organisations money, uh, you know, boost their funds who work with Muslim communities, that's going to target extremism and radicalization. In turn, they would give us, you know, the names of people that they are worried about. Now, what happened when the Tories came into power is they ripped that band-aid off, right? And they said, well, no, the threat is Muslims had to include the far right too. This is what's happening. Um, so we do see a, sh a shift in how um, I guess liberal and illiberal racism, whatever it, we want to call it, has been repackaged, so to speak. So I do think you're right. If if Labour do come into power, we've seen through like the Ford report, for example, that um, there has been an unwillingness to address 
racism within the party to address inequalities within the party how is that going to change if they were in power and it's something that is super important for us on prevent and counter-terrorism are you going to bolster it or are you going to i i don't know i use this word cautiously but work with us i don't i don't know and in terms of like things that you'd like the listeners to take away from this series shireen or like signposting what 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 are some things that you would like to reflect on or would like the listeners to reflect on well 2001 was a very long time ago so i teach at um i I teach at a university where i um my students were born way after 9-11 it's mad isn't it yes I mean, I it's mad it because happened. it's like a reference. 9-11 is a bit like a reference right? point. It like is. a conju- It is like a conjuncture, that, that period. So like yes. when I, I, often when I speak to young people that were born after, I'm like, oh, you don't, you yes. weren't there. So I'm teaching about 9-11 to students who um, weren't even born when it happened. Yeah. That's so, so it is. It's, it's, it's having to teach this all. And for many of the students, they were born into securitization. So they were born into a time where flying to the US became really problematic for them, where they were used to things like Schedule 7, so being stopped at the border, being searched based on intelligence, or they knew someone um, who who had endured that. Or potentially they may have been family friends with people who travelled to Syria. So they were born at a time in which these things became normalised. And that's what I'm trying to get at, is that ex- the exceptionalism of it all has become normalised. Mm. And yes, the series is called The Legacies of the War on Terror, but and I haven't really reached a conclusion on this point, but for some, they will say, well, the war on terror has ended. For others, it is, well, the legacies continue and it's being felt today. So I just want the listeners, through this episode, through this series, I guess, is to think about those enduring ways in which violence is experienced in which securitization is experienced and connecting that to broader histories as well um of inequalities racism and so on and something which is also really crucial is just just imagine for a second that prevents cease to exist that muslims won that victory it doesn't matter because you cannot turn an eye away from racism and inequality that is that is also happening regardless of who it is and i think Mm -hmm. that's really crucial as well that this isn't we don't lobby about it just because we are muslim but we lobby about it because we care about our civil liberties we care about each other a bad policy is a bad policy and we care about each other but i think that element of care which we spoke about earlier has been reduced so severely to um we need to inject that care that that kindness that thoughtfulness which i think raheel did so well by the way Mm -hmm. he was just so thoughtful in everything that he said very 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 reflective it's something that we need to inject back into our communities um which i think which i hope our listeners are going to do perhaps Mm. And, and it's advice for ourselves too to keep going it really is yeah shreen you're amazing. Thank you so much for executively producing Survivor Society Presents Legacies of the War on Terror. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Legacies of the War on Terror. Guest executively produced by Shireen Fernandez. You can keep up with Surviving Society on Twitter, 
Instagram, Apple Podcasts and Spotify.